Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. This last weekend, you know, or, or a couple of days ago, this weekend, the, uh, the NCAA, the men's and the women's, they started their, their tournament, you know, their, their end of season tournament, going to find out who the best of the best is. And as you probably know, if you've been around a little while, I'm not super into basketball at all. I, I'm more of a football fan. Uh, but here lately, I started to kind of get into it. You know why? Because I live in Arkansas. And um, the, the Razorbacks are doing pretty well. I mean, they did really well in their season, and then they're doing good in the tournament. And I, I have to say, there's just something about it that kind of got me a little bit interested in it. People are asking, hey, did you watch the Hogs game? Uh, it's, it's everywhere. People are talking about it. They're wearing the shirts and the colors. And I see a lot of you are wearing the colors today because you're proud of your team. And there's a little bit of that that just kind of got me excited, and, and I wanted to be a part of it. And so this this year. Uh, I'm doing the whole bracket thing. Anybody have a bracket? Did you fill out a bracket? All right, a few of you, some people. We did one here at the office uh, for some of the staff. There's a church one. I'm even in one of a a group of preachers. Like I go from none, uh, I don't do this too. Let me do all of them. You know, let's do all the brackets, you know. And I filled it out and it was kind of exciting. I'm just picking stuff, you know, and looking at this one, never heard of her, you know, and pick that and that kind of stuff. And I'm just guessing. That's really what it is. Uh, I'm guessing at this. I thought this would be a good father-son thing, right? I got the app. We went home and the boys, I got them. I was like, we're going to do this. And I was like, why? I said, I don't know. Um, but we're going we're gonna to guess at some of this. And there's some teams. Oh, there's a lot of teams, you know. And we're going to guess this out. You know, there's, not, there's no tournament in football this big. And so um, we're, we're going through it. And one of my sons says, well, what do you do if you win? And, or what do you get if you win? And, and Leland, you know, it's like he goes, recognition and honor. You know, like that. <laughs> It's like, that's true. That's, that's all we win, you know. And so we filled it out. And, um, and, and I'm kind of paying attention. I haven't really watched the games, but I'm kind of paying. I'm looking at my bracket. How's my bracket doing? You know, I'm looking at that. And I looked this morning. I woke up this morning. I looked at my bracket. And I am here to tell you I am number one in the staff. I am the best guesser of all the staff in, in our church. I'm feeling good about this. And when you open the little app, right there, it says right there, at the, it says ranking colon one. I like the way that sounds. I'm number one. I like that. And it got me thinking. A lot of our lives are sort of rooted in uh, ranking. A ton of the stuff that we do is based on the ranking. You remember when you were in school and you were really worried about being ranked really high? You wanted to be top of your class? You know, somewhere near the top. That's going to get you a scholarship, some recognition, something like that. You want to work at that? You want to, you want to give that speech or whatever it is? You want to work towards being the top of the class? You would never admit it, not, not out loud, maybe just to me. Maybe if we were writing and we pulled into your neighborhood and we were looking, you are in your mind ranking the yards and you're, and you're you know, you're, you're thinking, my yard is way better than that one. You see those weeds? Does he even own a weed eater? You know, that's what you're thinking in your mind. You're ranking them. You wouldn't say that out loud, like I said. But you're kind of thinking that, ladies, your nails, you ever look at somebody else's nails and you're thinking, I'm not judging her, but, you know. Maybe they're real or they're gel or they're, I don't know, that's the only two that I can think of, you know. And, but you're thinking in your head, these ones are the better ones, you know. They make it look whatever. That's what you're thinking in your mind. Hey, hey let me share this one with you. I will say this, I won't even say the brand, but here's a ranking for you. There's the, there's the mini, there's the regular, there's the pro, 
There's the Pro Max. You know what I'm talking about? iPhones, yeah. Apple, iPhones. And you're thinking and you're, you're ranking those. You're, and you go into the store and they do that on purpose because the way that we rank things. You go in there, of course I'm a pro. Look at me. I'm pro. I'm number one in the, in the guessing game. I'm number one. I need a pro, you know. So we rank these things. We're thinking of these things. All of our lives are based on ranking. And of course, you know, like I told you about football, like the SEC preseason ranking, which is a totally different standard than anybody else has to live under. But, you know, it's just the way it is. We base ourselves on ranking. In Luke 18, that's the text where we're at today, we're going to finish out the parable series looking at the last of the parables. Now, we haven't looked at all of Jesus' parables, but this is the third of the parable. Parable is an imagined story that Jesus tells to teach us a concrete truth. And in this story, there's a, there's a number of prayers, and we can learn a little bit about that. But really at the heart of it, at the heart of the story, Jesus is teaching us about ranking. He's teaching us about the way that we rank ourselves compared to other people spiritually. Like we look at other people and we're like, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm, I'm doing better than she is doing. So in this story, as we look at it, and we look at the two parts of it, we're going to see what Jesus thinks about ranking. We're also going to see about what it is that we use to make those rankings. Let's, let's pray together. I'll pray. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. And then we'll see what Jesus says about ranking and righteousness and prayer. God, we come to you now and we are so thankful to gather. We are so appreciative to have your word, the Bible, in front of us. God, I pray that we would open it and let it open us, that it would change us from the inside out. God, we are so prone to rank everybody. We put ourselves, we put, we put everybody from a scale of, uh, of not doing great to doing really well, and we put ourselves somewhere near the top. And God, I pray that we would analyze that, that we would hold that up, that we would acknowledge that we just slip and that we, uh, we kind of fall into that direction. And God, today I pray that your word would change us in the way that we see you, in the way that we see ourselves, and the way that we treat others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Luke 18, verse 10. Luke 18, verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You don't have to be in church or hear a lot of stories really very long to understand or to get the idea that these two characters, the Pharisee and the tax collector, these are Jesus's number one and two characters, right? I mean, nearly every story involves one or both of these two characters, the Pharisee or the tax collector. It's either Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees or he's speaking to the tax collectors. He's speaking to the scribes, which are most often usually Pharisees, or he's speaking about the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And it's important for us as we read that, these verses, let me tell you this. This is, this is a side note. I didn't say this in the eight o'clock. Let me just tell you. These verses that set up stories are often so important, all right? They, they just kind of, they, they it's not really the meat of the story, but they're so important for us to really kind of wrap our brains around what Jesus is doing. And particularly, you see that here in the Pharisee and the tax collector. When we think of Pharisees, we're often just defaulted to think that's the religious people. And when we think of tax collectors, that's the not religious people. All right, so you've got the Pharisees, the religious, and the tax collectors, the not religious. And that's the way that we sort of see them. And then we read the rest of the story. But in reality, Jesus is doing something different with that text. Jesus is using these two characters not because of the way um, that they are, 
but more specifically because of the way that they are perceived. Like I said, the religious and the not religious. And we're really lazy about that. I think that that's oversimplified because when we think of the tax collector as not being religious, then we miss some things. Like this story right here where it says that two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a tax collector. This tax collector is religious. Another thing that we miss is that we think of religion and we just kind of think of it as um, we default religion like good. Religious people are good. That's sort of the mindset there. But what Jesus wants to point out is that it's not really about religion or what you're, it's about a relationship. And so if we're reading those things just superficially, we may miss that. Another thing we might miss is that we always, if you're, if you're raised in church or if you've read a bunch of church stuff before, and by the way, if you've never been in church before, I just want to let you know that you are welcome here. We're really glad that you're here. You don't have to feel like you're missing out on something. This is the same way everybody learned this story, you know? Just somebody stood up and, and taught it to them. So I, I hope this is a cool story for you. And we think of the Pharisees generally as like the bad guys, right? When the Pharisees come on the place and, you know, boo the Pharisees. But they're not always bad. And some of them have a genuine desire to know God. In fact, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night and he asked him some questions because he wanted to know more about God. He said, teacher, teach me these things. And, and it's in that conversation between Nicodemus the Pharisee and Jesus the, the Savior, the Messiah, that we get that very famous, very good verse, right? John three sixteen. Everyone who um, trusts in God is, is saved, believes in the Son is saved. So we get these verses, we get this idea that the tax collector and the Pharisees, these are two people that we are brought up to the front here, but it's important that we understand what Jesus is doing with the two people. Another thing that I want to be very careful about, especially when we bring this up, is this Pharisee here, is because they're often considered the religious and because they're often considered the bad guy, we think then by default that religion is bad. And religion's not bad. Religion is simply the way that we live out our relationship with God. And all the different religions are doing that. They're living out their belief in their relationship with their God. And so Christianity, um, specifically in this particular room, Baptist Christianity is the way that we live out, that we flesh out our relationship with God. That's not bad. What's bad is when religion takes the place of relationship. That's when it gets bad. You're supposed to have a relationship, and then you live that out in some way. When those listening heard Pharisee, they heard a person that seems or appears to be godly on the outside. That if you want to be godly, if you want to live like God, then you're going to have to live like the Pharisee. That's what they heard. But, however, when Jesus says Pharisee, and when he says tax collector, he's not talking about the person. He's not even really talking about their actions. What he's talking about is the perception of the person. Jesus wants those who are hearing the story those who are hearing it live and uh, originally, and those of you who are hearing it right now for the first time or right now for the 100th time, to question your perception of those who would be uh, in right with God, those who would be God's favorite and those who would not. He wants you to question that perception. It isn't about a title or a position. It's about a relationship with God. Verse 11 through 12, this is the story as it, as it unfolds. Jesus says that these two were up there praying. Oops. These two were up there praying, and the Pharisee was standing and praying like this. So the Pharisee, that first one, he was standing and praying like this about himself. God, this is what he prays. God, I thank you that I am not like 
other people, you know, those bad people. Uh, they're greedy, they're unrighteous, they're adulterers, and even like this tax collector over here. Can you imagine hearing somebody pray like this? He says it out loud, really loud. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything that I get. The Pharisee stands up and he begins to pray, and this prayer is easily understood. You understand what it means. I don't have to like show you the Greek or anything behind these words. You understand exactly what he's saying there, but the only thing that I want to point out is that the Pharisee was praying about other people to other people. He was praying about other people to other people. He wasn't really praying um, uh, to God the way that we are supposed to pray to God. He was saying stuff so other people would hear what he was saying about these other people. It reminds me of the way that my sons will sometimes tattle. Now, uh, if you've had more than one child, your children probably do this as well, you know? They're in another room, and they say very loudly something to their sibling, but not actually to their sibling. They're saying it to me. Does anybody else, any parents ever experience this, you know? They'll be in the other room, and one of them will yell very loudly, Brother, I don't think that you should get into dad's cookies. He'll be very disappointed in you, I'm sure. It'll break his heart. And I'm in my room, and so I yell out, I'll go, Thanks. You know, like, I don't know. Why are you? You're not actually talking to him. You're talking to me. And that's annoying. Don't do that, you know? That's what his prayer's like. I am so thankful, God. And I'm not like these people. Did you hear me? I'm not like them. The whole point of prayer is to speak to God, and yet this guy speaking to other people about other people. And that whole standing thing, right? The Pharisee was standing and praying like this. That's really to contrast what's going on with the next guy as they, as they bring him up. But it's, it's, it's not uncommon to Scripture. It's, it's said in Matthew 6, 5, it's the same thing that's going on there. Jesus says this story, and he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by other people. This guy's standing up so that other people can hear him talk about other people. That's really the whole point of his prayer. Prayer is supposed to be you speaking to God and this guy is talking to others about others. What he does in the prayer there is he starts to mention all of the things that he does not do and then some of the things that he does do. Look at, I mean, these are good things, right? These are the kind of things that all of us should aspire to be. He says, I'm not greedy. I'm not just lustful, taking things for myself, unrighteous, like that guy over there, right? I'm not a cheater. I don't cheat on my spouse. I think that guy does, you know? He's a tax collector. He has to be cheating on something. I fast twice a week. I give up so that I can know God more. I know God a lot because I, you know, I, I fast twice. I give a tenth of everything I get. I'm sacrificial. All of these are things that you and I should be doing. All of these are good things. The problem is, or the, the rub, the, the real beef, or, or, or the issue with what he's saying is, even though these things are noble, there are not actually things that he is speaking to. He's actually just speaking a bad about other people, that he's pushing other people down. The point is not, this is what I don't do. This is what I do. The point is, this is what they do, and this is what I do, right? This is what they don't do. He's really talking to other people about other people. Ed Litton, the pastor, says this. He says, Pharisaism lives unconscious of itself and fully conscious of others' failures and sins. 
I think that's a great definition of what's going on in this text, that, that people, Pharisees, or a Pharisaism, that, that perception that we have of them, they live completely blind to their own failures, but totally aware and constantly reminding us of other people's failures. But the tax collector. You remember last week when I said, or a couple of weeks ago when I said that Jesus will always have this moment in his stories where he does something that um, kind of like makes you ask, did he just? Yes, he did. All right. There's always a story in Jesus' stories. There's always a moment where Jesus, did he just? Yes, he did. In this story, as you're listening, the original audience would have listened and they would have thought, is he going to make the tax collector the hero? That's exactly what he's going to do. But the tax collector, standing far off, not standing in the middle, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven. That's really important for what we're going to see towards the end of the sermon. Raising his eyes to heaven, he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Tax collector standing far off would not even raise it. This man is humbled. He's not thinking of himself as better than anybody else. He's not ranking. If he had a ranking, he would be down toward the bottom. Not number one, not number two, definitely not number three. He's down toward the bottom. He's not trying to compare himself to the stranger that passes by or the Pharisee that's talking bad about him. That would be our temptation, right? Oh yeah, well, I do this. And you know, we would try to, he doesn't try to do that. He is humbled by the brokenness of his sin. He recognizes that he's a sinner, that he has done wrong. It's not about the Pharisee. It's about God. It's about him and God, not the Pharisee. This is a prayer. It's not a speech. This is me talking to God. It's not a presentation. He's praying about himself to God. And what does he pray? He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That prayer shows us that the man not only saw himself correctly as a sinner, a rebel, somebody broken before God, but he also saw God correctly. In order for God to have mercy, he needs to also be the judge. And if he's God, then he's the righteous judge. So God on his throne is able to rightly judge us, and he is the one that we need to ask for mercy. To even ask means that you can have a relationship with God. Furthermore, it means that God potentially will give you mercy. These are all the things that the man says when he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Like Pastor David preached last week, he explained that like, you know the story of the prodigal son? There's that one son that took all of his money and ran away. Pastor David said last week that anytime we uh, act, anytime that we say or we behave like we do not need God, that we're going to live our lives without God, then we are the rebellious son. We are that rebellious son and daughter and child of God. This man fully understood, I have rebelled against God. I am nobody and God is a great somebody and I stand in his judgment and I'm just praying for mercy. That's what he understood. That's what he sees. And to be honest with you, this is, this is completely countercultural, right? We're taught to think positively of ourselves, to only think good things, to ideate positive goals in our lives. That if we think positively of ourselves, then there is nothing that we cannot accomplish. And I really want to strike a balance with that. Because to go too far on either side of the spectrum is to run off of the road. Here's what I believe, and I know this to be true, as I know you, and I know a lot of you, and I know of you well. You are smart. 
I believe I know that you are smart. I believe that you are talented. I believe that you are strong. I believe that you, each individual one of you, can do anything and everything that God has designed you to do. I believe that with everything that is in me. I also know that you are deeply broken and need Jesus to do those things. I believe that you are capable of amazing things in Christ. That within Christ, you're smart and strong and talented. These are all true. Unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector is not praying about other people to other people. He's praying for himself to God. And that makes a huge difference. He's recognizing his need for God. Jesus sums up the story. Jesus sums up the story in the next verse by saying, I tell you this, one went down to his house justified and rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus sums up the two prayers very simply by saying that the one who was humbled was justified. He was made right with God. This exalted, the, those who puff themselves up will be humbled. Those who lower themselves will be exalted. We all know well that you can't pick yourself up. If you were to stand up right where you are right now and, and grab your own um, belt line, you know, and, and try to pick yourself up as much as you try, you cannot pick yourself up. It's just physically impossible. But others can pick you up. And God certainly can pick you, pick you up. The Bible teaches us very clearly that if you will humble yourself, then God will exalt you. If you will exalt yourself, then God will humble you. This is, uh, this is the summary of those two prayers. Two prayers. Jesus tells an imagined story to teach us something, and it includes two prayers. But here's the interesting thing about it. This parable is not about praying. I mean, you can learn some things about praying. You can see some model prayers. This one, don't do. This one would be better. But it's not really about praying. In fact, this story is about something much deeper. This story is about righteousness. And specifically, self-righteousness. You remember the, the Pharisee when he stood up and he was really proud? He said, I'm really glad that I am not unrighteous. And then the tax collector, he prayed... God, have mercy on me, a sinner, which is a person who is not right with God, a person that would not be righteous. And then Jesus right here, he says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified, which is being made right. All of the portions of the text are teaching us that this story is not about prayer. It's about, it's about righteousness. In fact, Look at the uh, first verse of the story. We went 10 through 14, but if you jump all the way up to 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, in themselves that they were, what? Righteous. And they looked down on others. This whole story here, as Jesus tells a story about the Pharisee and the tax collector and their prayers in the temple, he's telling a story to get us to think about righteousness. Righteousness is being in the right. And according to the Bible, uh, that being in the right happens when we trust the work of Jesus. Jesus puts us in the right. 
When we are made aware and then recognize that we are not right with God, that we are rebels to God, that we have shook our fist at God our Father, and that we've tried to live our lives as if we don't need them, then we are not right with God. But if we trust in Jesus, if we turn towards him, if we apologize, if we repent, and if we trust Jesus, then he makes us right. He makes us Jesus-righteous, not self-righteous. Because self-righteous ends in nothing, ends in death, but Jesus-righteousness is life. Jesus is talking to those who are self-righteous. They trusted in themselves. Like I said, we're supposed to be trusting in Jesus, but they didn't trust in Jesus. They trusted in their own works, their own abilities. God, they say, these are all the things that I've done. God, they say, these are the things that I have not done. So you and I are good, right? To which God says, no. Because no matter how big this pile is, it still does not equate to what is needed to pay the debt. Jesus pays the debt. Jesus fully covers the debt. Trusting in Jesus' work is what makes us righteous. My friend Trevin Wax said, the only way you can think you have what it takes to become righteous, that you have what it takes to please God, is if you have lowered God's standard to something more attainable, or if you have overlooked all the sin that keeps you from making the cuts. It is not about what you can do. It is not about what you have not done. It is only and always and forever about what Jesus did. So trust Jesus, which this sounds like I'm hearing myself say this, and there's a part of me that feels like this sounds like weighty or burdensome. But if that's what you're feeling, then I'm saying it wrong, okay? This is not supposed to be like, well, if, if I can never do enough, then I'll never be enough. That's not the point. The point is we're not enough. But there's this free gift that Jesus said. Jesus says, I paid every bit of it. I did all the things that you could do. I did none of the things that you're supposed to do, and I give that to you. I make you right if you just trust me. That's what Jesus says. When we don't do that, when we trust in ourselves, it leads to this, um, this uh, messed up perception of the world. We don't see God as he really is. We, we see ourselves as God. We have this exalted view of who we are. We trust in ourselves. I don't need God. I am God. We have this exalted view. We have this messed up view of God, this exalted view of ourselves, and this distorted view of others. If you think you are God, then everybody else is just for your own pleasure and your own service. That's what is tied together here. Jesus told a story to those who trusted in themselves for their righteousness and looked down on everyone else. These aren't just two. It's not like, hey, uh, you and you, y'all come over here. This is y'all. Those who put their self-righteousness above trust in God are people who treat others poorly. They are people who look down on others what Jesus is encouraging us to do here is to be self-reflective. To look in more than we look down. Jesus wants us to, to take a, an assessment, to inventory what it is that we're doing and where it is that we are putting our faith and trust in. Whether or not we are being hypocritical. Look, we live in a world that is so very good at pointing out the hypocrisy in other people. Perceived hypocrisy. And I believe that while that is good to be discerning, it is better to know yourself, 
to know where you stand and how you measure up. Look at it as a sport now to judge the hypocrisy of that preacher or the Baptist or white evangelicals or the church or any other group of people. It is a sport and there are people who are pros at it. And as a white evangelical Baptist preacher, let me just say this. We are not without faults. We have done dumb, okay? And there is a lot that we have to answer for. But as much as that is true, I can say that as one of us, but as much of that as is true, what Jesus wants us to do is stop worrying about them and worry about yourself. Kind of take an inventory of where you stand. Pharisees stood up in front of everybody so that others would think bad about others. Jesus it more highlights the guy, the, the tax collector, who went away justified. Why? Because he was humbled. He saw God for who he really was. He saw himself for who he really is. I want to be clear. The point of the Jesus story isn't just so that you will not look down on other people. Jesus isn't telling this story so that you would not think less of other people. That's not the main point. His main point is to not find righteousness in your own actions. His main point is that you would trust Jesus, not yourself. Trust in Jesus more than you trust in yourself. When you trust yourself, you will end up looking down on others. When you trust Jesus, you will be kinder as he was. It's not so much the, the end result, how you treat other people. That end result shows you. It's a telltale sign of where you're putting your trust, whether it's in Jesus or if it's in others. Let me tell you this way. This is what you could take home. Look up, look in, but don't look down. Look up toward God, look in at yourself, but don't look down. How many times have you heard the, the phrase, don't look down? You ever hear that? You're up on a ladder, gets a little, you start to, ooh, you know, and people are like, it's super helpful, you know, when somebody's standing on the ground, it's like, don't look down. Or if you're like on a ladder or something shaky, or, uh, or you're up on your roof, and you're putting up Christmas lights, something like that, and somebody on the ground says, don't look down. Listen, I know what's down. I know there's a lot of down underneath me, and that's not making me feel any better, right? But we say that. We say, don't look down. And as helpful as that is in reality, it's also helpful in our spiritual walk. You look up, look in, but don't look down. You got your eyes looking down at others. You can't see what you are doing. If you're constantly looking at other people, you, you can't take assessment uh, of what you need to work on of how you need to better reflect the love of Jesus, how your good works need to glorify God and bring glory uh, to him in heaven. If you've got your eyes down, you can't see what God has in front of you. Like I said, I believe God wants great things for you. I believe God wants great things for our church. But we're never going to achieve those things, and you're never going to realize those things if you spend all of your time worried about how somebody else isn't living up to your standard. Look up. And stop looking around. If you're looking at Jesus, you will see others the way that he sees them. It's hard to look down on others if you are serving like Jesus is served. It's hard to look down on people if you're washing other people's feet. It's hard to look down on other people if you are praying for other people. Even when Jesus physically was looking down on others from the cross, he did so with compassion and mercy and grace. We need to look at others the way that Jesus looks at others. And the way that we do that is to watch the way that he is. Look up, look in, and don't look down. If you are looking at others all the time, you will miss the beauty and the goodness of God. 
He is wonderful, much better to look at than anybody else that you might want to. He's amazing in all of his attributes and his characteristics. Lift up your eyes and look to Jesus. Look up at him on the cross as he saves humanity. Look at him as up from the grave he arose to redeem everyone and beat death. Look up at him as he sits on his throne, ruling over all that is. Stop worrying about other people and get your eyes on Jesus. Look up, look in, don't look down. Here recently I got to hang out with uh, some of the college students, right? Um, Jackie gets to do this all the time. She teaches one of the uh, college uh, ladies groups. And, um, and so she has a lot of fun with them. But I don't really get to hang out with the college students a lot. But when I do, I like it. But I'll tell you this. College students intimidate me, all right? They're all cool and dress cool and they're smart. And, uh, and, when you, and when you talk to them about their school stuff, they're studying stuff that I've never even heard of. I just shake my head like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds terrible. You know, that kind of thing. Because they're just... Our college students are super smart people, right? So they intimidate me a little bit. Um, but I got to hang out with them because we got this new uh, college minister and we were having like, like a get together and you eat with them, hang out with them and stuff. And they taught me this game. It's called Spaz, all right? Kids these days, they're always making up games, you know, Just calling stuff stuff, you know? And so they taught me Spaz and um, I can't explain it to you, all right? Uh, but uh, uh, it kind of goes like there was this big circle and we were around the pool table and there's these two pool balls and, and you got to kind of like roll it to the other one and, and you got to do certain things and you got to be on the right side of the table so you might start here but you got to run around there and, and they're all yelling and, and happy about this and I don't understand what's going on. In fact, at one point I did something during the game. They let me play, which was kind of cool but also scary. And so um, I did something during the game and everyone erupts into cheering, Right? And so I just turned around and started clapping and smiling. And I had no idea why everybody was clapping, but I was just kind of clapping along. I mean, it seems like a clap thing. So we're going we're gonna to clap. And the game is very intense. In fact, at one point it almost became deadly. My son was standing over by the wall and one of the young men, uh, he took the ball and like threw it and the ball comes off of the table, flies at his head. He's standing over there behind this little lamp with his eyes real big. It's deadly, you know. No external wounds. They were all internal. We'll deal with those later. But it was this scary game. It's a big deal. But that game, like this verse, would teach you a lot. That game, like this verse, will teach you that, you know what you need to do? If you're going to get better, if you're going to survive, if you're going to win, is you got to keep your eyes up, worry about what you're doing, and not really pay attention to everybody else. Keep your eyes up, worry about what you're doing, and not pay attention to everybody else. In fact, another way to say that is, look up, look in, but never look down. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.